This is Speaking from User Experience, powered by Crosscom. In this series, we explore how empathetic research, design, and development lead to better digital products that delight and empower users. Here we go. All right, welcome to Speaking from User Experience. I'm your host, Philippe Charles, and we are here once again with Darren Staten and Steve Maxson. Steve is our senior UX UI designer. Um, he believes that UX design has the power to influence lives and behaviors in significant ways. And Darren is our lead UX UI designer, and he is passionate about solving problems through clean, minimal design. We are here today, last time we talked about designing for accessibility. Today we're talking about how to build a UX culture within your company, organization, could be your school, your wherever, right? How do you build a UX culture? So let's get right into it. The first question I have is, what is a UX culture? How do you know it when you see it? To me, a UX culture, what I call, or what most people call, I think it's just, it's just design thinking, right? It's a way of thinking. It means everyone at the company is thinking from a human-centered approach. Uh, everyone's challenging ideas, everyone's championing each other's input, and it's also your client too, right? Your client uh, becomes an extension of your team. It's like at some companies, like, you know, you might, you write up the contract, um, you get the work, and then you don't talk to them again until later, right? That, that's, to me, you're, you're not really in a U.S. culture there, right? It's when the client and you have an open communication, you're talking back and forth, they're giving input, they're giving feedback. Um, that, that's part of that culture. Basically just meaning you have a close and open communication with the client. You know, everyone is willing to adapt and go with change. Uh, and I think if you see all those happening at a company, then you know you have a great UX culture. Yeah, I think like, um, you know, one of the things you talked about is like, is, like, is uh, everyone, everyone's doing it at the company. Because, yeah, that was one of the things, like, when I think of, like, grievances that I see as far as, like, uh, like bad signs of a, of, the, of a UX culture or things that are missing is when you don't apply a UX process to every project. You, you, you basically, there's companies that are out there and they pick and choose where to apply UX and where, where they're just going to skip it because they feel it's not needed. And I think that's one of the things when you're looking for a, a good UX culture is that you're applying it everywhere. And I think that just results in, uh, it's going to result in higher quality product. And just also going to be, you know, what other, what, you know, that's what designers are looking for. Uh, if you look at it from, through that lens, how, how you see it is like, when you're looking at like big companies, big enterprises, it, this is especially a problem, but how siloed is that company? Because like you might be, you know, if you're, if you're a designer and you're, you're looking at it from that perspective, you might, the UX team, like typically there's two ways that it's organized in an enterprise level. It's either embedded or it's, uh, it's external. It's like, it's kind of its, its own department um, that then like, you know, works with other uh, development teams. And, uh, but there, there's also too, like those dev teams, are they talking to each other? A lot of times, like you, you have all these things that are going on but no one's really talking to each other because like each one of these different departments, each, each of these dev or product teams, they're completely siloed. And, and that creates a lot of problems no matter how the UX team is structured. So that's another, that's another big thing. And I, I think it's too, it's something where it's not something you can just go in and, and observe for a day and be able to say like, is this a good UX culture or not? If you, like I said earlier, my first example, it's like, 
how how often is it used? Is it used for every project? Are you picking and choosing? But if you are if you are like a designer and you're going in for an interview or if you're trying to get like a quick answer to determine the UX culture of a business, ask them if they have a design system. This is for like enterprises, right? Maybe not necessarily for agencies, but ask them if they have a design system. If they say no, run, uh, because that's a red flag immediately. Uh, if, if they say yes, then just ask a follow-up question then of like, how is it used by every product team? And then if you get some sort of hesitation or some sort of uh, indication that that is not the case, that's a red flag. And that's how you can find out uh, pretty quickly if you're on the outside of a company or you're just trying, you're trying to get, you sink your, your teeth in there. That's like the quick way that I would go about doing it. That, I think that would give me the information I need. Yeah. And it's not just to clarify, it's not, uh, at least from my perspective, it's not just the designers or uh, the product people owning the project, right? It's also the project managers or anyone that's part of their project in that way. Because at a small company, right, you might be like a dev, like just a dev company or a company that just has a UX team development. But you could be a larger company where like part of that is also the marketing involved, right? So that's everyone who's touching that product is thinking in that way. Um, and that's I think it's more about thinking. If everyone has that thought process, then you're in a good route. Yeah, and um, so one of the questions uh, like, that came up sort of as you all were speaking is we're obviously looking at this through the lens of sort of product development, but is it only product development or software development companies? Can a hospital have a design thinking kind of construction company? Like, is it mainly like when we're thinking of so software and product development or can it be bigger than that? Well, the funny part is the idea of thinking was around before software and tech. So I would say, yes, it can. I just think over time, you know, designers, engineers, uh, anyone who is operating in a design type atmosphere, right, should utilize design thinking, right? Because the whole purpose is to foster a creative environment where design is important from whatever level it is. So hospitals, right, is, and actually they have design teams, right? There are UX teams there. Uh, there are development um, companies and stuff like that. It's, it's every company. It's just, it's just a creative way of thinking to solve problems, right? That means whatever your problem that you're solving is, it's going to be instinctive and functional uh, by the end of it. And you're putting your user, right? It's empathy involved. Uh, so all that can be done in any type of company for whatever product you're making. I think the most common role that's similar to UX design uh, in a more physical environment is a industrial designer. And that's where you, you see those, especially in the medical field when it comes to, you know, how do you get, you know, the, the masks and stuff like that, um, that might be for, you know, assisting breathing and things like that. There, there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities because they have to go through prototyping stage and, and everything, and they follow a lot of the same principles. So that's where Darren was talking about. A lot of the disciplines that are part of you, the you know, UX today, a lot of that I think comes or is, it goes with industrial design as well. So yeah, you can factor it in. It doesn't have to necessarily be for software development. And sometimes those disciplines, like the line can blur a little bit because sometimes mm -hmm. you have to have software that has to work with like some sort of physical equipment. So think about like cars or um, other machinery, uh, you know, that has uh, physical controls. A lot, oftentimes you, you like, it would be very good to have it so that the UX designer needs to be familiar or working with the industrial designer and making sure that they understand how everything's going to work. Because, 
you know, the input devices and everything is going to factor greatly into how the software that might be utilized in a vehicle, um, how it's going to be, how that's going to be used by the end user and the designer, in both cases, need to know how that is going to work. Yeah, and I think Steve hit it right on the head because in one of my previous positions, I was working with all mechanical engineers for most of the time and it had to be married, right? So everyone had to work on it. We were working with physical machines that had software in them. Yeah, and I think about like, uh, Steve, you wrote a blog post about UX earlier this year, I think it was, and you you liken something to like space design. You have your, like inside a house, for example, architectural design, where you have a kitchen that's near a dining room because of how you would, would use those two kind of together. Um, I would imagine like even like as the hospital, right, like even the layout of the place can follow, you know, a UX approach to how it's executed and how, you know, it serves the, the doctors, the nurses, the patients, of course. Um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, I'll get back to my actual questions that I had planned, but that just, that, that made me think of that. So, okay, who, who at an organization then is responsible for building a UX culture? Design allies, I think is what I'm calling it. And what that means is anybody. It's those who have the knowledge and expertise is the people that are in charge of that. So uh, for instance, that can depend on the company. Like we talked about earlier, it can depend on the size and how it's structured. Like Steve was talking about with larger companies uh, where it's external internal team, or if they have team leads versus team managers and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's really anyone who has that uh, skill set, and they're the, they're the gatekeepers, uh, so to speak. They could be the C-suite executives, the CEO, CXO, whoever, but it's whoever has that knowledge and them coming together to share that knowledge. So uh, for instance, at our company, it's me and Steve, right? Um, and, and you, uh, we have that knowledge and we share with our, comp uh, uh, you know, our boss, our CEO, who also has that knowledge and we're the, the people who help foster that environment here. So at uh, another company, it could be someone completely different. I think that's that's accurate, and I think I'd also say that um, one thing that is really important, especially in like the you know large enterprises. Again, I'm I'm trying to think about this like outside of like an agency role, like outside of like Crosscom, so that it's more applicable to a greater number of people. But you really need like the executive team to to buy into it and enforce it uh, essentially, because oftentimes like you can you can have like the best UX designers. But it doesn't mean anything if the work that they do is passed off to these uh, product teams and then essentially viewed as a suggestion, a suggestion that they can ignore. Because that happens a lot. I'll, 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 I'll put it that way. It happens a lot where it's viewed that way. And, and then, and then the, when you get a chance as a designer to view the, the product that's developed and, and you see like, oh, this isn't what I designed at all. You can imagine the the frustration, regardless of what what walk of life you find yourself in. If you're doing something, whatever you do for your job, if you do something, and then you find out that all that work that you did, all that time that you spent on something, was essentially ignored, and and that doesn't feel great, right? And so I think that is like that's hurting like the the the, the culture there. I guess that like that's the other thing too as far as like who's building the, the UX culture, because I'm not trying to like to throw stones at uh, product teams, product managers, developers, whatever the case may be in, in, in your company. But you know, it ties into the other thing where it's just like, 
everyone needs to like work together as a team. And that's where like, you know, what Darren was saying with like allies and it, it, it really is everyone. A lot of times in, in places that have a very bad culture, it's viewed as a us versus them type of environment, you know, where you don't see, you, 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 there's like a competitive type of thing. And this goes with what I was talking about with silos earlier too, is sometimes like the developers or sometimes like the product owners of, of certain software, they have a vision in their head of what they want that to be. And they will do, they will move mountains to ensure that their vision comes to fruition. But when you have UX designers, UX researchers, they come to the table, they bring the research, they bring the data that says the vision that the product owner has isn't actually what users want. Then that's where you have, you run into interesting situations and sometimes you get that us versus them. Um, but, you know, ultimately it comes down to like what Darren has been preaching about design thinking and, you know, thinking about the user, what the user wants. So just getting everyone on the same page, which I think starts with like, at the executive level and making sure that everyone, we, we're bringing in this UX team, we need to actually utilize them and not treat them as something that's, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, icing on top, I guess, or in some kind of added bonus or that they're just gonna make the app look pretty. Like they actually are doing a lot of research, a lot of data, a lot of thought into the work and we need to follow through and make sure that it's being acted upon. That feels that feels very personal. Like like you've been you've been in a situation where where you felt like I've been in lots of situations. I'm just yeah. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm not I'm not naming any names or anything. But you know I've I, I've seen I've worked at some really good places and I've worked at some places you know where you know there were there were some issues and uh, you know you just have to. That's why I try to speak in I'm trying to speak in more generalities is because like each each situation is is unique. You yeah. can't just, if you just listen to someone or you listen to, you know, the Google, the Facebooks out there that are, you know, that, that might be speaking at conferences and stuff like that. I, it's one thing that really bothers me is like they, they a lot of, play, a lot of speakers, they, they, they go back to like grade school English, right? Where it's, they speak and they're like, this is, this is the way, right? This is the way. But, um, you know, it, it's like, you, you need to really uh, apply it uh, and, and think about, is it best for me? Is it best for the situation that I'm in? Because your situation is probably very different than that of like, if you, if you know, people at Facebook, Google, YouTube, some of the other like big companies, big tech companies out there that are, are speaking at a lot of these conferences. Yeah. And just to touch on that real quick, I think Steve is kind of in line. I think uh, when you're doing research, because uh, that's the, usually the first step people take, right? to figure out um, how to define UX culture because UX is usually added after the fact. Your company is already established for a lot of companies. Keep in mind, those companies like Google, Facebook, and all those places, like Google has helped coin uh, UX in a way, right? They've built the process and everyone's copying off of them. But keep in mind, because they built it, they also have way more employees than the average company. So they have UX teams where like, the U our job, right, we do a lot of things, but they have people who do just a singular action of what we do, right? There's one person that only does research. There's one person that only writes, and there's one person that designs, right? But one does black and white wireframes, and the other one does color, and the other one only designs buttons all day. There's a whole lot there, and there, so it's very important that everyone there has the design thinking, right? And you have way more people who have shares that, that knowledge and mindset. It's another reason why it's very important that everyone who even is not a designer should be sharing in that process. You know, what's, what's interesting about what, what both of you all are saying is 
like we're, we're talking again about like user experience in in terms of like building something for the outside but there's also this element that steve brought up and you're sort of echoing about like what happens within the company and almost like an hr what i mean by hr is how does this team feel about the work that they're doing and is that work being valued and that kind of thing and i i feel like we so so often talk about ux in terms of our external facing products and not necessarily our our internal sort of ways of interacting with one another where there's like mm-hmm. where hr teams could 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 think about user um centered approaches to how everybody is is um feeling about you know the work that they're doing we hope you're enjoying our conversation we'll be back after this brief word from the crosscom ceo don shin the mission of crosscom is to leverage technology and innovation to solve and respond to some of the world's toughest challenges and to make a meaningful impact crosscom has been able to for the most part get every major trend right and stay on the cutting edge stay on the forefront of where interactive uh, technology and human computer actions have been going we're always looking towards how technology is going to profoundly shape the human experience and i think that kind of commitment to foresight and to what the future holds is not just fortune telling it really is staying one step ahead for ourselves and for the clients that trust us Essentially what I was saying was um there's an HR aspect that can can benefit from sort of design thinking as well right um how people within a company and departments within a company feel supported feel like their work is valuable um that's that's part of another direction to to user experience in the workplace one thing that i heard also was the buy-in from leadership and it's sort of like every everybody's job but there needs to be buy-in from leadership I also heard Steve say something along the lines of kind of sort of saying like certain things need to be enforced. And that's a, that's really interesting because like culture is one of those sensitive things where it's like it's part rules and part feeling, right? It's it's there are some things that are like it needs to be this way and there's another thing there are other things that happen that need to happen organically and the the right environment needs to be created for those things to happen organically. So The question I have are what are the best activities and practices um to start fostering a UX culture. So I I think one thing that that is I think is really important is to have regular check-ins uh with the between the the dev team and the the UX team. That would give an opportunity then for the UX team to be able to see the progress that is being made and essentially catch anything that is uh maybe uh differing from the designs that were created uh while also being able to take on unforeseen little surprises or maybe like the you just they, they, the dev team discovers like oh we don't this is like out of budget essentially to do, to do this or uh, the UX team then is still they're still involved in that part of the project and then they can weigh in on the best way to handle it to produce the best user experience but sometimes like these teams are so siloed that the UX team will complete the work and then it will shift you know that work then moves on over to the development team and then they they work on it and then sometimes the UX designers they won't ever see it again until it's like live on the website app software whatever you're working on 
that's what that's what you know i was i'm trying to get at is that that needs to be avoided just just having these check-ins so then that way you know everyone there's 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 transparency both ways and you're able to catch things before it's too late to fix them and and they can be fixed before they ideally before they get to like the qa process and then another thing that i that i like that we do here at crosscom which maybe is like going a little bit beyond the the nature of this question but i still feel it's important is uh you know having like team building activities and so you know here here at crosscom you know we, we uh what we do is like we all have these uh vr headsets and it gives us an opportunity because just because of the nature of our work we do a lot of vr and ar type work and so just being able to experience it and so but we also you know obviously vr has also got like a lot of games out there and stuff so and a lot of these are multiplayer based games and so uh, give a shout out to my boy Carrington, who helped like kind of spearhead <laughs> this initiative. But uh, you know, he he organized these team building activities for projects that we're working on, where it brings in not just like you know me and Darren, but like he'll 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 participate. Developers will participate, and it gives us a chance to kind of like work together, talk together in a fun environment while while we're playing games. And you know, we 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 just did this the other day, actually. I think Philippe and, and, and Darren, they remember, they probably had nightmares about it last night because of the stomping I put on them. Don't know how you win by eight strokes in a when you only play nine holes, but I somehow did it. But Some of I us mean, had that, sore still, arms. Had a sore arm, tore a rotator cuff, you know. You see, it, it helps bring us together. It helps bring us together better. It <laughs> makes it so that... You know, you can have, you can joke around with people and, 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 and still have fun. But like, you know, I, I, I've worked with managers before where they, they felt like that type of thing is, has no place in a work environment. And I completely vehemently disagree with that stance. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, like there's, like, I've also, like, I worked in video games too. So I've also seen it go way too far. Yeah. So like, don't, don't like, I guess, misinterpret what i'm saying i think it's fine it should be something that doesn't doesn't take a, a lot of time um and, and don't hide it under the guise of like qa or something like that a lot of companies in the gaming space tend to do but you know it, do, it needs to be done so in a way that it doesn't interfere with your ability to get your job done so it's funny part 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 of my answer to this question at least the way i took it agrees with steve right as in like collaboration right uh like he mentioned how we do vr here and stuff like that but finding ways to communicate i think is a big tool or practice or activity that you can do right um but the the flip side of that so since he talked about that i'm talking about the educational side um this is where i think workshops or um sometimes here we do lunch and learns here you know uh, steve's not the biggest fan of workshops and conferences but i think this is where a workshop can be um very important and a handy tool, right? And I don't think it's one of those situations where you send everyone in your company every month to a workshop or stuff like that, or make them do this stuff they don't want to do, right? But I think in general, right? Uh, and this goes back to the question you asked earlier with allies and things like that. Once having those people who want to, right? There's always going to be people who want to engage in leadership. Those people are also the same people I think as good practice is people who should educate themselves in there and have a general knowledge. So those are the people I think should go through like empathy workshops or go through a design thinking workshops or UX workshops and learning that culture, right? The same way you would uh, if you were in Agile or learning Scrum and stuff like that. Those same things are very useful tools and I think activities or practices that help foster environment. It doesn't help just having one person 
right, who knows things, it, you, you, need a, you need a group consensus, right? You need multiple people who all share that same feeling and thoughts and understanding. And uh, some you can get through Google and YouTube, but also helps to really have some type of organized understanding from everyone. Like we're all on the same page and we can move forward from there. I think implementing workshops or having opportunities for your employees to go to conferences to learn more about it uh, is a great uh, resource and thing that I cherish and like to do myself. I'd say a combination between those two. Yeah, and I'm actually gonna add my, my two cents in on this question. Um, because I think there's like a, there's a middle point between like the, the sort of the play and the learning, which is like the practice. And I mm -hmm. think, I think like I've been fortunate enough in, in past companies that I've worked with in here as well to be a part of like looking at a problem and then going through that problem with my team and sort of going through the design thinking process. I think like going back to the HR thing, right? Like I think it could be really interesting for companies to start with the problems that are closest to them and go through the process of like have have somebody on the team with who's familiar with the design thinking process sort of lead things and kind of bring the company along with them and um that way people have the like they, they see it as a problem that is is something that they'll like benefit from or or that they want to see because it's it's in their workplace and they'll also be able to see the the whole process of what the what the solution looks like on the other end and what it means to have like a multidisciplinary approach from different people in your company who may be coming at the problem from a different vantage point and then from being able to see that over time even with smaller problems i think it becomes easier to see how that same process can be beneficial with larger with larger problems as well so that that's something that i benefited from from actually being like doing design thinking within a company setting um so that's that's my two cents as well all this hr talk coming from philippe i think he's trying to make a career switch here. <laughs> <laughs> no but i've always been in, been interested as a communicator in like internal communications so th there's an hr aspect to that i guess but yeah. but no yeah. steve i'm not coming for, get, i'm not coming for beverly's job okay beverly you're safe that's good <laughs> um but uh, I got I got to get my work my, my two cents in on like the whole workshop thing, where I guess where I where I my my stance on it is I feel a lot of, I, I again I worked at some like very big companies where they've had like two three day workshops, and those are I feel the biggest waste of time and resources. I'm not saying that they should be completely eliminated, but a lot of times I feel they are completely unnecessary at least for the vast majority of the people that are there. And and the other thing too is like the, the thing I really, really dislike, especially in this like this new kind of like remote type of age that we're living in, like post COVID, is a lot of these workshops, like they they still are like these, like when you go to these conferences and stuff, they still talk about the the need for for doing things in like a physical a physical way so you have like post-it notes that they stick on the wall and then so you need multiple different sizes of post-it notes and different colors and things like that and i i guess like my my whole thing is like i want i, I feel like you can like and this goes i will say darren is right he probably represents more of more traditional ux designers that are out there and a lot of what you know the big companies and everything push i i understand that i am a i'm going against the grain here 
That felt like an insult I, and a praise at the same time. No, that's, no, no, that, there's, it's, it's, it's a matter of opinion. That's skill. That's Steve's skill. <laughs> he can insult like, you. You're a great and, UX and designer, but you, you think in the past, you're old. <laughs> you're a very conventional <laughs> thinker. I, but it goes back with what I said um, earlier when I went on one of my, one of my rants, um, where it's just like, you need to, to find what works for you. Um, and, 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 and like the, the, the work that you're doing and who you're working with, um, and you need to adapt, uh, that way. Um, and, and for me, like what's always worked for me is working quick and fast. I think there's a time and place for workshops, but I would be very, I'd be very picky. I'd really think a lot about the value that the workshop is going to have and who is coming to it. I think what you're speaking to a little bit is like, not everything works for every person, which is kind of what we're talking about, right? And because I, I personally, I like a nice, a good workshop, but, um, but I also get that there's no sense of putting pe somebody through a workshop who's not going to get anything out of it. And there's no person of sending somebody to a conference who's not going to get out of it. There is a certain like who you are and how you learn or how you sort of take in the world is important in the process as well, which I think having more than one way of approaching UX maybe is, is the, uh, the, the solution, right? To, to, so that different people have, <laughs> I see Steve yeah. wanted to talk. No, no, no. Oh, go, go on, Darren. No, I was going to say, and that's why I, I stress these design allies or um, advocates. Some people call them advocates, right? Uh, I, I like design allies better. Um, the, the point is, is that not everyone in a company, right? It could be a very small company or a startup, right? And everyone is an ally there. So that means everyone goes to the conference or uh, like in our case, like at our company, right? It might just be me, Steve, um, and then uh, two people like the CEO or uh, a few project managers. Like it, 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 and they're spreading the word from there. It doesn't have to be everyone that goes to those type of things. And not every workshop is for everyone, right? There's a million workshops and a million different things. And I, I think Steve did hit it on the head there is taking the time to evaluate and research and see what things are needed for you, right? You might be in a healthcare space, right? So there, there's, there's specific and a lot of like security things involved with that. There are workshops or conferences specifically for healthcare, right? That may help you more than general workshops where you get nothing out of it, right? Uh, you may be a very uh, a big company, right? Where, where I think Agile excels and you might need to go to more Agile specific workshops. Doing lean workshops at that point is not really going to help you. So there's different things for different people. And I agree with Steve uh, on that point. So what's the, other, what's the other side of this? We talked about like, what are the best activities to foster, but what, what kills a UX culture? Ooh, okay. I, I think... To me, okay, it's research, communication, and iteration. Uh, those are the key words there for me. Those, those three things. If you don't have it, those three things, it, it, it destroys it. And let, I'm going to break it down more. I'm going to break it down more. All right, right? Research, right? Doing plenty of research, right? Understanding how your competitors' uh, products work, understanding what your users are thinking, which uh, Steve has been preaching, um, is, a, is a real big part of that kind of design thinking and that process and UX in general, right? If you're not doing that, even at the bare minimum, then that's already, that's going to kill the culture right there because uh, it's just not going to work, right? Communication, not communicating. We've been talking about it so much, but management, uh, design, and devs, uh, we're talking specifically from a product perspective. And the big part of that is both management and design talking with development. 
if there's not enough communication between design and de development, no matter how good your design team is, it's still not going to translate into the product because the devs are not the designers and some of them might have design skills, but then they don't know what you're thinking. Right. And it, and just cause it's on paper, they might not understand or things can get lost in translation. So having that communication open is a big part of design thinking and collaboration and the feedback. And if that communication is not happening, then once again, it's going to kill the culture. Right. And then iteration. And this is something that happens a lot and it drives me insane when people forget about this, right? Is iteration or thinking about the future. Uh, as in, remember, UX is an iterative process, uh, meaning you do not need to design the perfect product the first go around, right? You're, you're, it, it takes time, right? You get feedback, you understand. You know, you might have to go live and get that real user feedback to even make a better product. So sometimes people get stuck, right? What you're designing was supposed to be the MVP, right? A minimal viable product, uh, which is where that comes from. That idea of that this is an iterative process, but then you end up making everything in the kitchen sink. And then you put it out there and realize you didn't even need half of that. So you technically wasted time. So sorry, that, that really drives me insane. You really want to take the time to figure out what is your product? What do you need at this, at this time? What are we trying to push out from a business perspective and a user perspective? focus on that, move on, phase two, phase three, phase four. It's never going to end. This is an iterative product. If you're making a digital product, it's not a one and done. This is, it's a continual process. So just remembering that. And if you're not doing all those things or any of those things, I think it kills the culture. I, I guess the one thing I would, I would add, I agree with what you're saying, but I, the one part that isn't always true is like a lot of companies, it, it is not iterative. And, and then so like that, that circumstance that you talked about where it's like the MVP and then scope creep happens and then that MVP has everything in the kitchen sink. Like it, that's that, the reason why that happens in, so, in some circumstances, and maybe it's, it's from like people going from one job where it, it, you know, the culture worked a certain way and then going to and then bringing what, you know, some of the bad experience and trying to learn from them and bring that over. But what happens at a lot of places though is MVP ships and it is a legit MVP and then it's never touched again because you yeah. move on to the next feature. Yeah. And so what happens then is like, Oh, we got to get everything into this because once we're done with this, we're not touching it again in a year, two years. We don't know because yeah. usually the roadmap doesn't lay it out that far. It's just and like, that leads to a bigger conversation. That leads to a bigger conversation, which is another problem that I want to drag into this because I can talk for hours, but yes, I, yes. I agree. You know, going back to what I said before, like having support from uh, the you know executive team, wh whatever that might be in your in your 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 job, that's important. And not, not just like having having their buy-in, but like I said, their ability to enforce it. Because like yeah, I I worked at places where like um you know I've been told like oh yeah we got we got buy-in from the very top, and then um then you you over time you realize oh. They, they say they buy in, but then like, you know, then you see like other people that are underneath that person and how they're not, they're ignoring UX essentially. I guess that, uh, yeah, I guess, and one, one thing that goes into that too, this is a little thing, but um, that, that I think some UX designers will probably see and agree with, but I worked at a lot of places where people say they buy in the UX, but then they will, they will praise the work that UX did by saying things along the lines like, oh, and we'll give this to the UX team and they'll make it look great. 
that is the uh, UX designers. A lot of them will take that as a backhanded compliment or like a, 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 as a, a way of saying that like that person doesn't understand what UX does because while yes, like the visual design is part of the UX work that we do, it is in that under that umbrella. That's not the only thing that we do. And I think that's like one of the biggest things that I see in uh, companies that are trying to integrate UX to be part of their culture is the they don't have they don't really truly understand what UX is. Steve, you'll be happy to know that when I want things to look great, I send them to Darren. I don't send them to you. So you you don't have what? To... No. <laughs> Shots fired. I like you know, it. And it is funny when people ask what I do uh, or like because it's very complicated sometimes to explain people uh, what a UX designer does or what they do. But I would like to say, uh, when I say what I do on a day-to-day basis, I say I, I spend 70% of the time thinking and 30% designing, right? Because really, to even make that design, you spend a lot more time thinking, researching, doing competitor analysis. Oh, is this what, what are trends too? Trends are important, right? You don't want it to look outdated or you want it to match the branding. So all that takes time just to put one triangle on the um, screen so or one modal or drop down. So it's really a lot more thinking than it is designing. But I guess the, the one other piece I wanted to add onto this that, that kills UX culture, um, and this is like, uh, well, I guess what it's ironic coming from me, perhaps based upon what you think of me, but uh, it, it also is like, uh, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big thing and I'll, I'll go into some specifics, but immaturity. I think is a big thing. And, and by that, I think that that goes not just, that goes for designers, that goes for everyone in a company. But like for designers specifically, the one thing that I see all the time is designers not being able to take constructive criticism. They, they and, and this comes from a lot of designers are very passionate about their work. Mm-hmm. Not saying that other disciplines aren't, but designers, a, a lot of them that I've worked with are very passionate about their, their work and they take it very personally. They view it as like a, an extension of them. And when, therefore, when they're asked to make changes to it, they don't take that feedback very well. They need to learn. I, I always tell des- designers whenever I'm in a position to, like, to, to help them out, to, to help young designers out, like if you cannot take, you need to learn to be able to take constructive criticism. And if you can't, you should probably find another, uh, another profession because it, it is very rare where you're going to get your design through the entire process and it come out looking exactly as you had originally designed. And also too, like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to gain information from talking to various people or like talk not just users with like the user research that's going to be conducted, just people that might have, you know, there's, there's, there's complex software out there. There's complex problems that, that you're not going to be able to fully wrap your head around, whether it be like aerodynamics or medical or Philippe's favorite HR, there's going to be things that you don't fully comprehend and you're going to learn along the way that are going to, that you will need to adapt to. And you will receive feedback along the way about why it needs to change. And you need to be open and receptive to that and be willing to change. So, yeah, I think that's the, that's not the main one I, I think that I wanted to, to hit on. Yeah. And I think um, what, you, what you mentioned, I think, cause I, I've definitely experienced the same thing in, sort of marketing communications. I worked in video and all that. And a lot of times when building something for human consumption, the people who build it, I've done this for sure, 
you're attached to the art of it and that art is very personal um but art is different than uh objective right and i think people forget about the the end objective often and they they kind of hold on to this initial idea and so to your point in hr or in <laughs> wherever um holding too tightly to an idea and not um being open to influence it just sort of i think kills the process so i i like i like the way that um that both of you all worded that okay let's talk about the team itself like how do you hire into a ux culture um to make sure that people are a fit into a ux culture for me it's not really about skill um and what i what i mean is i'm taking this question as we're not specifically talking about a ux just a ux design right how do you hire people for your company who buy in to it right so for me, that means you're buying um, motivated people. Uh, you're, you're uh, oh, I mean, not buying, sorry. <laughs> we're not buying people. Uh, we're hiring <laughs> motivated people. Uh, we're hiring people who can adapt and who want to make an impact. So, and it's more of a personality thing, right? People who are motivated, who are passionate, I think fit well and type that uh, thing because that means they have input. That means every person matters and every one person can give feedback. So you don't really want people who are too quiet, right? Or even if they're quiet, they're not af uh, they're afraid to give feedback. You want people who can do that. You also want people not afraid of change. Things are going to change. That's a real big part of it, is accepting change, uh, being able to adapt, move on, take feedback like uh, um, Steve said earlier, and move on, and then make an impact, right? Uh, which goes back to my point. Feedback is really big and important, and that each person in a design thinking philosophy or UX culture can make an impact and if you have people or you come across people who have that kind of personality or have said those things and that's really their their skill set or part of their skills then i think that is someone to take in mind and i think works well in a ux culture uh one other thing that i think uh in, in, that i think is important is when you're when you're interviewing candidates for a position the make sure that they're talking to a variety of different people at the company. Maybe not just like, you know, if you're, if you're, whether you're hiring a UX person or an engineer, they should be interviewing with uh, everyone of different disciplines that they're going to be working with. So like, for example, if you're, you're hiring a UX designer, you, they, you obviously want to talk, have them talk to the, whoever the hiring manager is, the HR person, but also bring in like an engineer. Uh, someone that they might work with on the day-to-day. -day. That can be a less formal uh, meeting. If you're doing it in person, it could, a lot of times this is done over lunch to see if they're a cultural fit. And then that, that can sometimes like, you know, expose a lot of things about that person. I, I, I've worked at a, some companies where in, in one case, like we're, we learn from, we learn about a person and we decided not to make an offer to a person because of how they interacted with the receptionist at the, the company I worked mm. for. And it, it was just really interesting. It was just a conversation I was having at the end of the day, I was about to leave. We we're about to make an offer to this person. And then, you know, the receptionist was just saying like how rude this person was uh, to her. And I was just like, I, I took that back and, you know, and we made a decision not to, you know, not, not to make an offer to that person. And I've been on the other side too, where, you know, we, I've interviewed a, a, it was another designer and uh, I liked the person, my, my manager liked the person. We thought this was like a no brainer hire, but then we went into the bigger meeting with like everyone, including the engineers that talked to this designer. 
and uh, they had a different perspective because like it turns out like you know, a lot of people will put on a different face based upon who they're talking to. Sometimes they talk down to people because of their role or title in the company. And, and so that, that was another case where we didn't hire that person because that we thought was a no brainer hire, but we didn't hire them because they were not going to be a good cultural fit. Yeah. I, I have this, this theory and I'm sure that you all will likely agree. Maybe not Steve, Steve never agrees with me, but, um, and it's that like, there are two buzzwords, right? UX is a buzzword and diversity and inclusion is a buzzword. Right. And I always think I've always felt like when you start solving for one, you start solving for the other. When you create a environment, a workplace that is, that, that is focused on design, focused on re research, uh, focused on, on solving problems from a user-centered approach, I mean, that's, you're also creating an environment that is more inclusive, right? It's one of those things that like when companies think about how to, again, I guess maybe I'm talking a little bit about HR, but um, when, when companies make, like are trying to think of like what things to do to, to create the largest impact within their company, I think the UX sort of approach to um, thinking about you know, their employees and thinking about how they want their employees to think is also, we use the word empathy. It's also the, the one that utilizes empathy, which is at, also at the heart of diversity and inclusion. So I always, I always thought that those two things went really well together. Um, and it, that fits with our last talk about accessibility as well. The last thing I wanted to say is, what about current employees? Let's say this is a new thing. We're trying to sort of switch over um, to this UX-minded um, approach we sort of talked about this, but how do we get newer employees, specifically maybe the ones that this is a little bit harder of a concept for them to grasp? How do we get them on board? And do they need to be fully on board? Can they still so, be beneficial if they're not? So um, I'm going to say it's a top-down method, uh, which I think we've touched on a little. Um, it starts from the top down, um, executives buying into it and things like that. What I mean by that is it's more about inspiring than it is like dictating, Right. Uh, and it means you're making it part of your company. So you're setting up spaces for collaboration. Uh, like for instance, here, we have a Slack channel for feedback, or we have, uh, like Steve mentioned earlier, we have these things called donuts that allows us to talk and meet up and we play virtual golf sometimes. Like you're fostering one part of design thinking, which is collaboration and feedback right there. That's already solved, right? Um, you're, you're using tools like Maze or stuff like that, right? For your designers who need to reach out to people who are not design thinking and they don't have time to go through design files, right? But you need to get actionable feedback. So utilizing tools like that. And then one of the big ones to me that I think our company does well and our CEO does well is in making it a part of your core values. Talking actually talking to your employees and letting them know why it's important and how it translates into sometimes revenue, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all a, it's a business. So if they see that it translates to more revenue, which means better paychecks for you, then, you know, it's kind of selfish, but that, that, that in turn will help people buy in and help become more of design thinking and buy into philosophy and then help build the culture. I'm glad I'm not the only one talking about money in this podcast. Well, it's business, you know, money is always going to be important. <laughs> well, thank you all for this talk. Um, I'm sure we could talk a lot longer on this, but I think we, we will end it there. This has been Speaking from User Experience, and we're signing off. 
Speaking from User Experience was brought to you by Crosscom, a web, mobile, and immersive app development studio. If you like what you heard, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you want more resources about software development and emerging technology, visit our website at crosscom.com. That's Crosscom with two M's. Thanks for listening.